Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Can y'all hear me? Amen. All right. As we return to our seats, as we return to our seats, I want to welcome you all to Refresh Community Church, and I want to welcome you to Advent. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for Advent. Many of you uh, may come from church traditions where uh, maybe uh, the liturgical calendar uh, wasn't a fixture of your church experience, and that's totally fine. So some of us who may be Christians may be like, what, what is Advent? What are, what are we doing? Uh, why is it so dark in here? What is going on? Why we got candles, these Christmas, what is, what is happening? Um, and so I want to take a moment um, and explain. Uh, and before I explain, I also just want to uh, take an opportunity to welcome all of our guests again. If you are visiting with us uh, here at Refresh Community Church, I'm so glad uh, that you are here with us. I am Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at Refresh Community Church. And so we are glad that you have chosen to join us, uh, whether you are here in our sanctuary or you're with us via YouTube and Facebook. Welcome to this worship experience. And so uh, Advent, uh, what it is is, is we, we know about Christmas. Jesus is born, right, in uh, Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Um, it's this idea that God becomes man. And in order to save us from our sins, God doesn't just say, hey, y'all get it together. Uh, but God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to make it so that you can get yourself together. Um, and so that's Christmas. But what Advent is, the Bible pictures all of humanity in a place of darkness before this time. At this point, you got to keep in mind, God's people, the people of Israel, uh, the law isn't working out too well for them. They, they failed, they've sinned, they've been separated from God, and then the Gentiles were completely without God. The Gentiles are the non-Jewish people, so everybody was under this cover of darkness. And it's this picture of longing um, that we all have, and that they had then that Jesus comes as the light of the world and shines light. Um, but during this time, historically, the Christian church has taken time to remember and to remind ourselves the darkness that God has called us out of. Uh, and so in order to communicate that this Advent season, uh, we thought about and we prayed through what is God calling us uh, to communicate? And we ended up with this theme of out of the shadows. Uh, so for the next four weeks, we're going to actually be uh, surveying texts in the prophet of Isaiah. Um, people have often called Isaiah the gospel in the Old Testament because Isaiah, so many of the verses that we love and we celebrate during the Advent and the Christmas season come from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And we believe that just as God called us out of the shadows of sin and darkness and despair into the light of Christ, even so in the gospel, in the uh, prophet Isaiah, we see kind of shadows of the gospel. Um, and so we're going to look throughout uh, the gospel of, uh, or the prophet of Isaiah for the next four weeks as we come out of the shadows and into the light of Christ and celebrate Christmas and the coming of the Messiah. Amen? Amen. And so I would, if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Isaiah, and we're actually going to start in chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 16. And Isaiah is in the Old Testament. 
And if you need to use that table of contents, go right ahead. It'll also be on the screens. But I'm going to start reading. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 through 16. Here's the reading. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters into suit justly, no one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we come to you. God, and we, we own our sin. God, we own the ways that we have fallen short. God, we own the ways that we have rebelled against you, the ways that we have been weak and have been unable to obey, the times when we have been misguided and wayward, and God, the times when we have been downright wicked and just chose to not obey you. But God, we also thank you that you don't leave us in this place of darkness, that you come to us in Christ and call us back to yourself. So I pray today, that you will speak to us and remind us of your grace and remind us of the gospel, even as we are reminded of the ways that we have sinned against you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I want to talk to you all for just a few minutes today from this thought, the eclipse of glory.
the eclipse of glory. You've already started to wrestle with this thought, this question, this idea of a solar eclipse. Anybody in here? How many of us have seen one? How many of us seen it without the glasses? Who took up? <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to look at a total solar eclipse without the glasses. Um, I had the opportunity, I've seen just a few in my lifetime, but I had the opportunity to see one a few years ago. It was here in St. Louis. I think we got another one that's supposed to happen in North America. I think it's in April 2024, I think that NASA said. Um, but it's this idea, when you, when you think about it, it's, it's mind-blowing that something, the moon in particular, um, in the middle of the daytime, completely covers and obscures the sun, so much so that it's complete and total darkness in the middle of the day. And if you've ever experienced it, you know that it is awesome, incredible, and somewhat scary, right? It's, 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 it's frightening, right? Um, you see this happening, that this whole sun that we see, and, and when you think about the sun, we depend on the sun for a lot of things. We depend on the sun for light for heat. Y'all do know if we didn't have our sun exactly where it is, the way it is, functioning as it does, we would all not be here. The sun is critical for life, and yet something can come and obscure it from our view. Check this out. Something that is significantly smaller than the sun. Something that if you just place the sun and the moon by itself, the sun would swallow up easily. It completely obscures and covers the sun and keeps us from being able to see the light and feel the warmth and totally blocks it from our view, even though it's smaller than the sun. But why does that happen? I'm not going to go into the scientific phenomenon between vision that makes it happen, but here's the bottom line. While the moon is significantly smaller than the sun, it is much bigger than you or I. And when we think about this idea of the eclipse of the glory of God, the, the picture of the sun, of God's glory, of the light coming to us has been completely and was completely obscured by sin, even though sin, check it out, is way smaller than God. I want to be clear. I don't want to preach to us that sin is so much bigger than God that it just covers up God. It's not that sin is bigger than God. It's not. But let's not play patty cake with sin because here's the reality. It's not bigger than God, but it is much, much bigger than you and me. And so just the way sin obscures the sun, just the way um, or the moon obscures the sun, it's the same way that sin obscures our view of God. We've all experienced this. We've, we've seen this. We've felt this in Israel in this text, in the book of Isaiah. They are being reminded of what got them in exile. You see, Israel, they were exiled from the land, the, the promised land, because they had sinned against God. You know, it's a fascinating thing. I want to encourage us that when we look at this text and we see Israel, the people of God, the called of God, the elect of God, that God does not sanction and bless everything that Israel does. In fact, your entire Old Testament is a story of God punishing and disciplining his people who were not being obedient to the calling and to the laws that he had given them. God doesn't say that you're my people, you get to do what you want, and whatever you do, I'm good with, and everybody else needs to be good with. What God says is that I have called you to a high standard to represent and present my morality and my ethics to the world, and if anything, I'm holding you to a higher standard. And so because Israel 
had sinned against God, had become like the nations around it, had become oppressive and hurtful to those who were vulnerable in their country, God cast them out of the land just as he did the nations who were before him. God basically said, you want to act Canaanitish? I will treat you Canaanitish. And he sent them over to Babylon for some 70 years to figure out some things. And so while they were there, because God is God, God still sins with them. He gives them this warning before they go through the prophet Isaiah, and he reminds them of what got there. And God, in this text, I would like to kind of make this analog between the S-U-N and the S-O-N. And just like the S-U-N in the midst of eclipse, y'all do know that it has gone absolutely nowhere, that it is still there. God reminds Israel, he says, listen, I haven't gone anywhere. My arm isn't shortened. I didn't suddenly become defeated by the gods of Babylonian. It is your sin that is obscuring your view of me. Amen. Now, I know that some of us, when I say sin, some of y'all are already like, oh, it's one of those kind of churches. He's one of those kind of preachers. Fire and brimstone. He's going to preach about sin and hell and death. This is awful. This is supposed to be Christmas. I want to hear about Santa Claus. So there's some of y'all mad right now. I came to church. I want to see Christmas trees. I want to see Kris Kringle and this dude, they done blacked out the lights and turned up. I don't like this church. I'm never visiting again. But I want to talk to you about sin. Now, now that's a word. I don't even know if we know what it means anymore. Um, and some people will tell me, some of y'all off rip are just like, I don't believe in sin. Don't believe in sin. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Even if you don't like that word. Even if you don't like what you feel religious people in the church have done with it, you believe in sin. You want to know how I know you believe in sin? Because you are not happy with the world as you see it right now. You see, if you, didn't re if you actually really didn't believe in the concept of sin, you would be thrilled with the world as it stands. But even if you are not a Christian, even if you do not make frequenting church or watching live streams or reading a Bible a frequent practice of yours, I'm telling you, when you open up your CNN app, you are not thrilled with the world as it stands. Every day there's a new crisis. Every day there's a new problem. Every day our politicians can't get it together. Every day there's a new war. Every day there's a new oppression. Every day, and none of us like it. And so if you think you don't believe in sin... Listen, I ain't going to argue what you believe. I'm just saying, I'm just like, think about it. Do you really think the world is that okay? I don't think you do. So I'm going to continue with my definition of sin because I, as a Christian, believe that there's this thing called sin. And it appears a couple times in this text, what is sin? In Hebrew, it just means missing the mark. It's like you're shooting at something. If you've ever done any type of archery, uh, you know that you're trying to hit a bullseye or you've ever thrown a dart at a bar. Don't know why I use at a bar. Don't know why I was there, but we were throwing darts. Anyway, <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. It's Advent. Anyway, <laughs> trying to throw a dart while I drank my grape juice and watched his grape juice at the, <laughs> at the bar. And you miss because you had too much Welch's grape juice. But that's what sin means. It means that you're trying to hit a target and you're not able to. You're not able to hit the target. There's another word in this text, and it's iniquity. And what is iniquity? Iniquity speaks to a distortion and a twisting. There's this idea there's a way that is proper, and we twist it. We know what that is like. It goes like this. Let me give you an idea. Let me, let me give you a picture of it. Um, you, you know, there, there, there's this direction that you're supposed to go in. Like, for example, um, you're a, a, a politician, and your job is to make sure that people in your district, in your area, in your state, in your country flourish. But instead of making that way plain, you use your position to uh, in enrich yourself and to help those who you like and all those things. And so rather than use the thing to do the right thing with it, you distort it and use it to do the wrong thing. 
That's what iniquity is. It's the twisting of those things with good intentions. But let me say this to you. In order for that to make some sense, it has, you have to ask this question because all of us feel, whether we're Christian or not, we all feel this existential angst and this sense that things are not as they should be. The question we have to ask is why do we feel it universally? I would argue, because I'm a Christian, full disclosure, that there is a God in the universe who set this universe on a moral arc. And that he doesn't just establish righteousness, he doesn't just establish justice, he doesn't just establish goodness, but he is the very definition of all of those things. And every time we sin, we miss the mark because we got to ask the question, who put the dartboard there? I would say God did. Who set the target that we should hit? God. Who set the way that we should walk in? God. And every time we walk away from it, we distort it and we twist it. We err against what he has set out for us. But let me be clear. This is not just about rule keeping. This is much deeper than that. This is about God's intention for human beings for our good and for our flourishing. You see, people of God, the reason why God talks about sin and iniquity and transgression isn't because he just wants to give you a really dense rule book. It's because he actually wants you to flourish. And when we rebel against God, when we walk in darkness, when we choose darkness over light, and let me be clear, we don't always just accidentally do it. The Bible actually says we love darkness rather than light. We like it. You see, just now, just probably about now, your eyes have probably adjusted and you're probably seeing me just fine. And that's exactly how darkness and sin works. After a while, you just kind of get used to it. Our eyesight, you know, our pupils do their thing, and we can see just fine. And then what happens if I turn the lights all the way up right now? It hurts. And God says that the reason why you experience that is because I am the picture of that, and I, 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 I'm the picture of light, and I actually desire not just you to keep some rules, but I want you to flourish. And I didn't design you to sit in darkness all the time. I didn't design the eclipse to last forever. And so... There are a few things. There are a couple things here. I told you the title of the sermon real quick is the eclipse of glory. I think there are two pieces of glory that sin, I'm making the case that sin is like the moon, that covers God who is standing in as the sun here. I think when sin in our life, when we, uh, not just the sin in our life, but the sin in the world, the fallenness of the world, it moves in front of our vision of God. Not so much that God goes anywhere, he's still there, but that we are unable to see him. I think there are two ways that this sin eclipses our vision. I believe it, it eclipses our vision of the glory of God. And it eclipses the vision of, our glory, of the glory of our fellow image bearers. I think that's what's working here in the text. Take up your Bibles. I'm going to walk through it real quick. Look at this. Starting in verse 1. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that you do not hear. God says, listen, this, this isn't that I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still omniscient. I'm still omnipotent. I'm still immutable. I'm still eternal. I'm still impassable. I have gone nowhere just like the sun. You know, it was like world, like, it, I think the dude uh, who discovered this uh, got like burned at the stake or something. That, that earth isn't the center of the universe, that it's the sun, and that it never moves. Like, that dude got in a lot of trouble for that. I forgot, was it Copernicus or somebody? Um, but, but here's the point. God is saying here, I haven't gone nowhere. 
Nothing is wrong with me. He says, my hand is not short. Anytime you see these anthropomorphisms, that means human language applied to God. God actually, well, uh, God the Father doesn't have a body or anything. When he talks about his hand and his arm, it's talking about his ability to act. He says, listen, I still got all power in my hands. I still can hear. I hear everything you're saying. I'm just not responding. And it's because there's something that's blocking your view. And what it has caused, if you look at the text, look at this, verse 2, but your iniquities, remember I told you iniquity is the twisting, it has made a separation. It's placed a gulf there between you and your God. And let me say this, this is profoundly unnatural. Look at this small little word there. It's made a separation, listen, between you and your God. That's possessive. What this tells me is that it's unnatural. There's not supposed to be a separation between you and your God. Something has happened. This is not the way it is supposed to be. And listen, even if we're not believers, we've all felt it when something just feels off. We all know what it's like when you've been in a relationship with somebody and you in love with somebody, y'all been together, but something is in between and y'all ain't vibing. Like y'all going on dates and you talking on the phone or y'all still hanging out if you're friends, but there's something there and there's something y'all ain't quite talked about. You know, maybe there's an offense that you've been nursing. Maybe there's something that happened. Maybe there was a little word, but y'all are not on the same page anymore. And God says that there's something in between us, and it's your iniquities, it's your sins, it's, it's, it's the things that you have chosen over God, it's the idols, it's the gods that you worship instead of me. This is exactly what Israel did. Israel loved to worship Molech and Ashtoreth and Baal and all these other gods who did absolutely nothing for them. You see, it was Yahweh who pulled them out of Egypt. It was Yahweh who took them from being slaves to being a nation. It was Yahweh who pulled them across the Red Sea. It was Yahweh who judged the Egyptians to deliver them and build them from nobody into somebody. And it was him to to whom they turned their back. And we do the same thing. You say, well, we say to God, it's God. You know, you cool and all. But you know what? Instead of worshiping you, I'm going to worship sexual immorality. That's done absolutely nothing for me. So I'm going to give myself to it. I'm going to worship and give myself to greed, to, to, to self-aggrandizement. I'm going to give myself over to lying to protect myself when these things have not put one ounce of food on my table. It's been you the whole time. And so God says, because of that, you can't see my glory. You can't see my brightness. You can't see the picture of my character. You can't see my goodness, my grace, my beauty, my love for you, my love for your community, my care for you, because you're blind to it. One of my greatest fears in life is when we get to the point where we're desensitized to the beauty of God. And some of us who are listening to me today, the reason why you are not experiencing God is because you've become desensitized to it because you've spent your time in darkness. And what God says, it's not that I've moved, it's not that I've changed, it's not that I've become unjust, it's not that I've become wicked, it's that you cannot see me because you are blind. Anytime we get out of sync with God, God hasn't moved. It's always us. So the challenge I'm laying before you today, even to Christians, I'm talking to us, because Christians, y'all know we can move. Boy, oh boy, can we move. Don't pretend like it's just me. It's all of us. God will be right there feeding us, taking care of us, loving it, but putting, making sure we good, loving on us, delivering us, and we will show, get up, and just go and do our own thing. And for some of us who are believers, 
maybe in the church, maybe faithfully serving in the church. God is saying, listen, all that is all good, because y'all do know, this, this is the crazy part, right? Israel during this time, they were still like doing sacrifices and religious stuff, but they had left God. Some of us are doing all the religious things. Some of us like only listening to 99.1 Joy FM. <laughs> but God is saying, look, I want you to come back to me. There's this passage in Revelation where God tells the people of Israel, you've left your first love. And some of us, they, he, listen, here's the scary part. And um, not the people of Israel, he tells the church. He was talking to the churches. The letter was to the churches. They were at church. They read this at church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Think about this. Isn't that not crazy? That Jesus is outside the church now trying to get in? <laughs> hey, hey, y'all. I mean, y'all having a great word service. Can I come? <laughs> and God is saying to us, even if you know me, come back. And, and to those of you who don't know Jesus or Jesus or you on the fence with Jesus or maybe you used to vibe with Jesus and now you and Jesus are like, ah, we ain't really fooling with each other like that right now. Like, God is saying, listen, I haven't moved. I know you got wrestlings and questions and angst and frustrations, but he's saying, I'm still the same good God. I know maybe you've had bad experiences with church people and religious people, but I'm still the same Savior who shed his blood for you while you, my enemy, were, while you were my enemy, and I love you. And so, I know you're looking like, man, Los, really, this is what we're doing today? Can I tell you, though? It, I mean, it is. We, we in there now. We in, but look. Can I tell y'all, can I show y'all the grace in the text? The grace in the text is that God tells us that he's hiding. It's the worst, uh, worst, worst game of hide and seek in history. Look at it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He's like, hey, 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 I'm hiding. Do you not, do, do, do you feel that God is not with you? Do you feel that you're seeking after God, but you're not getting them? Do you feel that something in your life is off? Good. Because that means that God is letting you know that he wants you to seek after him. You see, God, he says, listen, it, it, I think about the story Job. Job says that hey, I looked to my left and I couldn't find him. I looked to my right and he was not there. And, and at that moment when Job couldn't find God, God was never more attentive to him. And so if you feel, if you sense that something is off with me and God, I feel like I'm in this dark shadow. You might not even be a Christian. You might just be seeking and considering some stuff. I would say, I actually think that's God's grace. And he's poking at you. And definitely, if you're listening to me, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to me at this moment, God is trying to get your attention. And he's saying, hey, yo, I'm hiding. Come find me. And he's inviting us to seek after him. But not only does sin eclipse our view of God, and also, if we're not careful, it can eclipse our view of fellow image bearers. So when I talk about the glory of God, I'm talking about God's radiance, God's beauty, God's wonder, his character, who he is. Human beings, according to Christian teachings, Judeo-Christian teachings, are made in the image of God. That means that we're kind of like the moon in the sense that the moon doesn't have its own light source. It simply reflects the light that it gets from the sun. That's how human beings function. And if you read this text carefully, if you read the list of sins in this text, it is not as much about individual sins. It is about individual stuff, but it's about how we treat one another. Yeah. It's fascinating to look at. 
Look at this text. It says, uh, look at verse 3. It says, your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongues mutter wit- wickedness. Look at this. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law. Honestly, he's talking about the court system. What? They rely on empty pleas and they speak lies. Keep looking at this text. If you go down to verse, uh, verse 7 or verse 8, the ways of peace they don't know. There is no justice in their path. They have made their roads crooked. We see throughout this text that the hand, this says, it opens up, it says that blood is on your fingers. Whose blood? Not your own. Never forget that Jesus elevates our hatred of one another to the place of murder. So you ain't got to be Jeffrey Dahmer to be a serial killer. Jesus says, if you hate your brothers and your sisters, if you reject them, if you, he says, if you call somebody, this, isn't this terrifying? He says, if you say, you fool, you are in danger of hellfire. Isn't that crazy? We can call people way worse than fools. What Jesus says, and the way we picture sin in this text, is not just something that's individual that just happens in my closet, and it's just something that I do between me and God, and nobody is affected. No, God says that every time we sin, and the way he has set it up, is that it's not just happening in isolation, but every time we sin, every time we break covenant with God, not only do we not see the glory of God, but we damage our fellow image bearers, and the shrapnel from the bomb that is our sin explodes, and it damages the people all around us. Ask anybody who's destroyed their family because of their sin. Was it really private? Ask anyone who's ever been ground under by an unjust legal system or a wicked judge or an evil racist police officer or someone who did not stand for righteousness and justice in our legal system. Did it really just affect that person? Even your pet sin that you hide in your closet that I don't know about or your spouse doesn't know about or your best friend doesn't know about, even that is affecting other people. You see, the Bible does not view sin as an isolation, as uh, something that happens to us as automatons, but as something that ripples throughout the fabric of all of creation. And don't miss this word here, justice. A theologian once said that justice is what love looks like in in, in public. And so our wickedness, have you ever thought about your sin as somehow doing injustice to someone? That you're robbing someone of what they are due? You see, when you hate your neighbor, you're robbing them of the love that's due to them. When you sin sexually, you are robbing your spouse of your body which belongs to them. When you lie to your neighbor, you are robbing them of the truth that you owe them as image bearer of God. And so when we give ourselves to our sin, we become blinded to the glory that is in the fellow image bearer, and we sin against them. And so sin eclipses our fellowship with others. I hope by now you can see, feel, and even taste the hopelessness, injustice, and brokenness that is in this world. The only thing that's left after this is what we see in verse 9 through 13 is this exclamation of despair. Therefore, justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those with no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those who are in full vigor. We are like dead men. We growl like bears. We moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none because our transgressions are multiplied before us and our sins testify against us. We transgress, we deny the Lord, and we turn back from following our God. I hope you feel every ounce of that weight because that is the weight of sin and so when we think about this picture of eclipse 
When we think about this picture of the way sin covers the glory of God, it covers the view of our fellow man. There is this hope, not only this hope and this piece of encouragement that God tells us that it's hiding. Here's the other piece. No eclipse lasts forever. Every eclipse is temporary. You so you see, this would be a really bad sermon if I left you right there. <laughs> that there's just the weight of sin, the eclipse of glory. We can't see God properly. We can't see our neighbor properly. Everything is a mess. If I left you right there, it would be very bad pastoral malpractice. But thankfully, God does not. Look at verse 15. It says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Look at the gospel here. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. You want to know why Jesus is God? Because he is the only one who has the capacity to deal with the weight of sin that blinds every single one of us. And the gospel says right here that God looked at this situation and God wasn't happy. Let me be clear with you. Y'all ever been in a situation where somebody like ghosts you and you're thrilled that it happened? Like somebody, somebody say, I'm, I'm never talking to you again. And you're like, whoo, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> never speaking to you again. I'm like, praise the Lord. You got to pretend like you're sad. Oh, <laughs> God doesn't do that to us. God says, I'm not happy with the distance. I'm not happy with the separation. I'm not happy with the distance that has come between us. I'm not happy with the eclipse. So now the light of the world is going to come down to open our eyes and to bring us back to God. And so the good news is that 2,000 years ago, in a little city called Bethlehem, God himself, the only one who could do something about the sin problem, came down. Amen. You want to know what Advent is about? It is about our longing for the only being who can fulfill that hole in our heart, that existential dread that we feel, that longing, that angst that will never be satisfied. Jesus says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to remove the barrier so that you can see me and see your fellow man and the entire world as I intended. And so this Advent season, I want to invite you to experience the one who rolls back the eclipse, who calls us out of the shadows. He says, I want you to come to me. I want you to experience my grace. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and you've been wrestling with God, listen, son of God, daughter of God, please come home. It's, it's high time to come home. It's just time. It ain't, you know, you, you've been out here to experiment the world. You've been wilding. Man, you know, we know. There's nothing out there. God is saying, come out of the shadows. If you're an unbeliever and you're just tired kicking on Jesus, here's what I would say to you. Come and see. Just try him. Give him a test drive. Can Jesus really fulfill your deepest longings? Can the God man, the one who created all things, the one who created you, you know you're trying to find your purpose. I know you make a lot of money and you still feel empty. You got a big house. You got a nice car. It ain't it, is it? Here's what I want to suggest to you. That the only one who knows what you need, 
who can help to open your eyes is the one who made you. So I want to invite all of us. We're getting ready. I'm going to pray. Our worship team is going to come. We're going to sing some songs. During this time, there's going to be brothers and sisters here at our altar who can pray with you, who can walk with you, who can encourage you. If you want to come and get prayer, there'll be brothers and sisters, and they, they've been well-trained. Whatever you share with them, we'll stay with them. But if you would like prayer, I invite you. The altar is open. You can come and you can experience that. But during this Advent season, I want to encourage every single one of us to come out of the shadows and experience the power and the grace of God. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you because you have called us out of the shadows. Thank you that you have called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. God, I pray during this season, during this month, as we go week by week by week, that we will see more of the glory of the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us stand for worship. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.